Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Hi, everyone. Good to see you. Good to be here. Well, this morning, we are continuing with our series, What Is God Like? Um, I've been really enjoying this series. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying it. Um, It's been really good. And Mark did a fantastic job last week, Mark. It was really, really good. Um, So thank you for that. Okay, so I want to talk about something this morning that, um, I'll just be honest with you, admittedly, I'm probably the least qualified to talk to you about. Um, I'm a work in progress in this myself. So this morning, it's kind of a bit part teaching, part confessional, part therapy for me. So you get you get to watch on and do this and we can, you know, you can lie me down on a couch later and ask all the deep and meaningful questions you like. It, it's part of that. And also, I'm also just acutely aware of the limitations of anything I might have to say or just words in general when it comes to relating this concept. Um, because I think it takes more than just a kind of cognitive or intellectual understanding of the, the content of what I'm talking about this morning. It, it takes something to happen in here, and that has to come from God. Um, so before I get into it, can we just say a quick prayer and invite God into this space just to, to take these kind of halting, faltering, stumbling words of mine and, and maybe do something really special in here this morning? Okay, let's pray. So Father, I love that your word says when we're weak, you're strong. Uh, Father God, I love that you say your word is alive and living and active. And this morning, I just pray, Father, that what people hear this morning isn't just even the best of what I've got to say, but stuff that comes straight from your heart to theirs. And so, Lord, we we sit and we wait and we open ourselves up to what you want to say to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have you ever got to a point where you're just done? Right? You're just like... That's it, I'm tapping out. I've had enough. Anyone got there? Yeah? I had one of those days just this Monday. I'd set aside Monday morning, cleared it in my calendar, so I would have time to sit down first thing in the week just so I could start to think about what I wanted to talk about this week because I knew for me personally it was going to be a big struggle for me to get my head around this, right? And so I sat down to do it, but no sooner had I sat down to do that than the phone rings. They say, Adrian, the ceiling has collapsed in the foyer. Did anyone notice that this morning? Uh, Yeah, you just thought it was part of our renovations, okay. The ceiling has collapsed. Well, it's already been a really bruising six months for us. We've got the COVID stuff going on and all the uncertainty that that produces for us as a church and for us personally and for you guys personally and people we know and so yeah there's a lot going on with that and then of course there's my health stuff which is still an ongoing struggle and and you know we're still trying to get on top of that as well but you know what I found I find with life is it doesn't matter what you're going through right life just keeps going right it's not like you can go I'm I'm the time out time out stop stop everything else in the universe just stop for a second I need to process this, right? doesn't stop. Problems still occur. That You still need to get new tyres on the car. The bills need to be paid. People have problems. Your kids are, need you. You know, all of this sort of stuff. It just continues. And it begins to kind of just wear you down a little bit and a little bit. And so, yeah, so Monday morning, I get to Monday morning. I'm already feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Adrian, the ceiling has fallen in. 
So I, get, I come up here and I'm sorting that out. And while I'm here sorting that out, I get an email to say, um, oh, good news, the, uh, the public liability lawsuit against this church is going ahead. So I'm like, oh, cool. So, so we're going full Job now, are we, God? Right, I'm really looking forward to the boils. Like, bring it on, you know? Bring it on. Let's go. So anyway, I did what I normally do in times like these. And I texted my better half. I texted Heather. And in language unbecoming a man of my ecclesiastical station, (laughs) I said to her, and you can work out for yourself how I said this, you won't believe what has happened, dear. Right? And I began to tell her. And I do this instinctively, not because I think Heather's going to be able to fix this or do anything about it, but uh, when I get like this, when I get to this point where I'm just so done, I just need to vent. Anyone else? understand that you don't you're not expecting anyone to fix it but you're just like I've got to talk to you and she's unfortunately for her she's my go-to right she's the person I need to talk to um, about all of this so five hours later um, we get all of this kind of safe and sorted and everything and I I walk back to my car and I sit in my car and I'm surprised my car's there because I thought a sinkhole might have swallowed it Or a meteor might have hit it or something like that. But anyway, the car's still there. And I'm like, okay, it's a win. And, and I go and I, I sit in my car and I think, okay, well, I'm quite happy for a sinkhole and a meteor now. Take me with it. Like, you know, let's just go. Okay. And I'm just sitting there and I couldn't even bring myself to start the car because I was just feeling so kind of just weighed down by everything. And then something happened to me. And if, if you know me, you'll know this is not a usual occurrence, right? I'm not one of these like weirdos, I'm not one of these people. And I'm sitting in the car and this thought just goes off in my head as loud and as clear as anything I've ever thought. And I know it's not me because I'm having the best pity party ever at this point in time, right? I'm living it up. I could have gone to Ibiza with this pity party, right? It's, it's happening, you know, there's lights and all dancing and it's all good. And so, and I'm feeling really sorry for myself and, you know, literally going, seriously, send a meteor, please, right? This thought goes off in my head. You always go to Heather, but you never come to me. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? But I thought to myself, I think that was God. <laughs> right? I think, that, I, think, I think that's God. Anyway, I start to have a bit of an issue with God on this because I'm like, never come to you seriously? The last six months, right, I have been starting my days diligently. It's tapered off now, but it just started diligently where I would get up and Heather had given me this prayer to pray and it was four pages long, right? And and, and I'm not... She didn't write it. It was someone, someone else had crafted this prayer and it was a really good prayer and it was a really comprehensive prayer and it was really helpful for me because my mind was all over the place. And so to have something to simply focus on kept me consistent in my prayer. So every morning I would start and I would pray this prayer and I would take my time working through this prayer and I would take communion every day. But I still kept feeling more and more overwhelmed. But I did this for six months, right? Six months I kept praying this prayer. And I just got more and more overwhelmed and I just got less and less interested in praying this prayer. I guess I tend to be a bit pragmatic with some of this stuff sometimes. You you understand what I mean? Like I thought, this isn't working. And it wasn't that I was necessarily not getting the outcomes I was praying for. I also didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was actually really connecting with God. Does that make sense? 
I mean, I was, theologically, this was a good prayer. It was comprehensive and it kept me focused and it was really good from that point of view. But I just didn't feel like I was really connecting with God. So as I sit there and he says, you always go to Heather, but you never come to me. I'm like, oh, excuse me. What do you think I've been doing for the last six months? I've been coming to you like every single day, never come to you. And then I remembered what I had read in my devotional that very morning. Now, confession time. Who else sometimes does this? You read something in your devotional in the morning and you go, yeah. And it, you don't realise it hasn't registered at all. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like yeah, that's, tr- that's so true. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Right, what's to eat? You know, uh, 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 And it must have been one of those mornings because it was like, bang. It was like, what did you read this morning? I don't know. It was like five hours ago and I've been stressed out of my brain ever since. What did you read this morning? Anyway, it was something from Matthew 6. And and in it, and I'm going to talk about it from the the message translation. And in it, it, Jesus says, says he's talking about prayer, right? And he says, look, when, when you come to God, come as... Just find a quiet place and come as simply and as honestly as you can. But then he says why. Like, this is why you can just come simply and why you can just come honestly. He says, um, this is your father you are dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Like this, our Father in heaven. I thought to myself, you know, some of us know God, but we're not terribly familiar with the Father, are we? We're good at knowing the God stuff, but but there's a missing piece to some extent when it comes to really knowing the Father. And I know they're the same thing. I know God and the Father, God is the Father and Father is God. But the relational dynamic that that is meant to instill in us is completely different. I'll give you an example. My girls have been coming to this church ever since we we took on this role. So in that sense, I'm not just their dad, I'm their pastor as well, right? But I don't expect my kids to approach me as the pastor, like you guys have to, you know. (laughs) Adrian, your magnificence your most holy and worthiness, you know. Like, you don't, my kids don't need to do that like you do, right? They don't have to make an appointment to see me. They don't have to say, hey, can we have a coffee to catch up or whatever. They're my kids. They can, they can walk up to me as they do and just grab me and hug me anytime they like. They can, as they do, when I'm sitting in the lounge in my happy place, right, because I'm an introvert, right, so I have to have long periods of don't talk to me, right, Sitting there on the lounge, they will just crash next to me, slide under my arm and rest their head on my chest and just sit there. Sometimes they want to talk, sometimes they don't. But they're my kids. So even though I'm their pastor technically, more than anything, I'm their father. And it's the same with God. Yes, he's God, but he's our father. They're not mutually exclusive. They don't cancel each other out. Everything that's true about God is true about God. High, exalted, holy, mighty, powerful, all-knowing, you know, all of that. That's all true. But principally, he's our father. 
He wants to be known and related to as our Father. Like I said when I first started this series, Jesus did not come to earth to change God's mind about us. He came to change our minds about God. To reveal to us in the flesh, in his own person, and through his teaching as well, this is what God is like. Philip, do you not know? Do you not know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he says, isn't it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what he is like. And in a world where the religious system portrayed, and the religious people in that system portrayed God as distant and aloof and scary, Jesus was kind of doing something incredibly radical and revolutionary, though it wasn't completely new. If you go back to the Psalms, you can find even David talking about God being the father of the poor and the oppressed. So this idea that God just wasn't some, you know, imposing deity that lived up on, you know, Mount Olympus somewhere and deigned every now and then to get involved in human affairs. But no, he was actually a father. But Jesus comes along and really just builds on this thing. Both, I said, in terms of his own actions, his life and his teachings, he starts to tell people that this God that you see represented in this kind of religious system. Yeah, he's holy, yeah, he's high, yeah, he's mighty, yeah, he's powerful, yeah, he's all of these things. But you know what? Beyond all of that, he's your father. He's your father. Now, that's both great and problematic at the same time because it's not like it's a one-size-fits-all description for us, you know? Our fathers, and more broadly our parents, you know, they shape our ideas about what God is like in a very, very big way, whether we know it or not. So just because we use the words doesn't mean we actually get the concept that Jesus was trying to communicate. Father means different things to different people. Father means different things to different people. Some people have an amazing experience when they grow up with their father. Their father is just the bee's knees. He's kind and loving and gentle and patient and all of these things, encouraging, etc. So for them, when we talk about God as father, bing, that thing goes off, that connection is made for them. That's the memory that they have. That's the idea about God that comes to their mind. But for other people, it's not such a great thing, you know? Some of it's a little more problematic than that. Sometimes it's so unhelpful that if you that you seriously think sometimes that if you're ever going to talk about God the Father, you might want to put a trigger warning in for some people because their experience of their own father has been so toxic or traumatic that it's just not something they can not just relate to. It actually, it actually turns them off a little bit when they try and think about God like that. And then, of course, there's everything in between those extremes. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but as I sat in my car and I thought about this, and this thought was running through my head, you never come to me, I realised what God was trying to get through to me. See, because if I, if I have a fault, and this is highly debatable, I probably don't, but if I do, right, if I have a fault, it's that I am terribly, terribly, terribly independent. And people who know me know this, right, to the point that if I fell into a, a ditch filled with wet cement up to my waist... And you walked past and said, um, can I help you get out of there? I'd say, no, it's all good, I got it. Now, you would come back the next day and I would be encased in concrete. <laughs> but I'm not going to ask for your help because I've got to work this out. I can, I can do this. I am like this to a T. Even to the point that the ceiling fell in, someone found out and they said, hey, can we help you come up and clean it up? And I went, no, it's okay, I'll do it. Well, they came up anyway, right? 
But it was like, no, it's okay. I will do that, all right? I do this not because I think I'm all that, right? It's not because I think I'm the only one that can do things. It's not because I think I've got the best answers to everything and I'm so self-sufficient and I never need anyone. I know I need people. I do. I'm just resistant. I just struggle with asking people to actually do anything. And the reason is because I've always had to be like that. Due to a variety of circumstances and, I guess, personality in my family, from a very young age until I left home at 16, I always had to look after myself, always had to look after myself. I have no recollection of ever asking my parents for anything. Now, I'm sure there were times when I was younger that I probably did that, but as I was growing up, I have no recollection of ever asking them for anything. If I needed something, I got it myself. If something needed to be done, I would do it myself. I was letting my, walking myself home from the age of five, I was helping cook dinner, I was doing all of this sort of stuff, and then I leave home at 16, I have no need of them anymore because I'm getting paid, I'm in the army, I'm looking after myself, I can do all of this sort of stuff. I even remember that I don't remember even having a conversation with my father until the last few years of his life. And it wasn't even a deep conversation. It was a really superficial conversation. My father was a, was a, uh, a very distant and disconnected man. He used to come home from work and sit in the corner of the lounge room and smoke his pipe, and that was it. Now, my, not because he was a bad man. My dad was actually a really good man. He was a good man who did the best for his family, but he had no capacity, no way of actually relating to us in any way because that had not been his experience. He grew up as a child of a violent alcoholic, right? So he was doing amazingly well given what he could have become, right? But he was distant and we didn't have conversations and we didn't connect whatsoever. So he had no experience of that and consequently I had no experience of that either. So I can sit down every morning as I have done for most of my life uh, or at other periods of time, and I can sit down and I can approach God to pray, right? And I can do it in all sorts of ways. You know, I can storm the heavens, I can quote scripture, you know, I can, I've fasted in the past, you know, I've done all of these sorts of things to try and get But I've never known really what it was like simply to come in simply and honestly and just plop down and say, can I talk to you for a sec because I'm not doing very well. I've never really been able to do that. And I bet there's more than a few of us here this morning who struggle in some way to really connect with the fatherness of God. Now, now I'm not too bad here because at worst, my father was disconnected and distant, all right? But for others, it could be really, really worse, a lot worse. Your father may have been a really demanding type of people, person, people, he might have been two people. No, um, it may, may have been a really demanding type of person who really specialised in conditional love. You know, so when you do well, we're okay. When you're not doing well, you're not okay. And that's not just in terms of behaviour, you know. Sometimes parents like to live vicariously through their children, don't they? And they really, really, really want you to succeed. And it's, it's actually got more to do with them than it has with you, you know. And so, you know, dad loves you when you're performing well and you're going to fulfil all his dreams for you. But when you aren't performing well or you say you don't want the dreams that he wants, then then you notice the distance, you notice the detachment that happens. Your dad may have been absent. He may have been absent in the sense that he was present but just not engaged, or he may never have even been a part of your life. And so when we talk about God the Father, I mean, what's that? Never had a father. He may have been cruel. He may have been cutting in his words of actions. He may have even, God forbid, have been abusive. And it's hard, almost impossible at times, not to think about God the Father 
outside of the filter of our, and the lens of our own experience because our lived experience is our main reference point for understanding this. You with me? Our experience of God the Father, and more broadly speaking, our parents in general, that shapes our view and our understanding of this dynamic, of this relationship with God. So we can get the God bit. That's kind of easy. The, the, you know, the holy high and worship, he lives in the cathedrals and all that. We kind of get that. But God the Father, that can be a really tough one to get our minds around. So what do we do? Well, how we get there will be different from each of us because we've all got different stories. We've all got different experiences. We've, we've all been on different journeys with this. And some people will need a long time to overcome this. Some people will need some deep, deep healing and even maybe professional help. There are no quick fixes to this type of thing. For others of us, it may not be too hard to get over that, but there is something we can do. Um, there is something we can do in the, in the meantime. Jesus said, and I love this, this has been really helpful for me, and I'll share it and see if it's helpful for you. Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, and I'm like, what? Um, I actually do struggle with that because you never find the word evil about people on the lips of Jesus anywhere else, right? He never goes around calling people evil. And so I, I went, I thought, I'm going to look at this. Is this a really good translation? It turns out the word there could be translated a completely different way. It could actually mean this. Um, you there who are, uh, what have I got here? Full of hardships, worn out, conflicted. That makes more sense to me. Rather than just outright categorising all of us as evil, if you then, and he's, even though you're full of hardships and you know, you're weighed down and you're, you're, you're a bit of a mess, even though you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? And it's that how much more thing that really stood out to me. And because if you're a parent, you know the strength of your love for your children, Right? You know that if, if it were possible, you would do absolutely anything for them. And if it came to laying down your life, you would do it without hesitation, right? You would. It just wouldn't even cross your mind that it was not. If, they, if there was a truck coming and it, it was a choice between them and you, it would be you any day of the week. There would be no, no qualms about that. So if that's how you feel about your children. If that's the lengths you were willing to go to, to, to love your child, how much more does your heavenly father love you? So that gave me a little bit of a frame of a reference. But, but what if you're not a parent, right? Because as a parent, I found that helpful. But what if you're not a parent? Well, I think it still works in the sense that it gives you something to springboard off. You can springboard off your own experience of your own father. In that, look, if your dad was good, if your dad was great, that's fantastic. But how much more better, not even sure if that's good English, how much more betterer, sorry, <laughs> is God... The Father to you. I mean, if your dad's great, that's that's what. But God's even better than that. And and if your if your experience wasn't so great, even if it was toxic and, and traumatic, then understand that God is nothing like that. He is the antithesis to that. So whatever cruelty you saw in Him, you need to understand in your Father. Whatever cruelty you saw in your Father. There is an overflowing abundance of kindness in God. Whatever impatience you saw in your father, there's an unlimited reservoir of patience. Okay? 
whatever paucity of affection that was, that was coming, you know, generated towards you, there is a fountain of unconditional love that is directed towards you. So you may not have had this experience, but compare and contrast. Springboard off that experience and tell yourself that God is nothing like that. If conflicted messes of fathers know how to at least try and give good things to their children, how much more better is God? (laughs) Yep, I'm so good at English. But Jesus knows we'll still struggle to get our heads around something like that, right? Like I said, it's one thing to go, yep, God's our dad, God's our father. It's one thing to use the language. It's one thing to nod our heads at the concept. It's another thing to get it all together. And so as part of it, he grounds what this is in his best known and best loved story of all time, the the parable of the prodigal son, right? We all familiar with that? You know the story, a father has two sons, the younger one, he demands his share of the inheritance before his father died, which is a great insult, and he takes off and he burns through all the money and he essentially blows up his life. And then he comes crawling home to dad, but he's not coming home to dad because in his mind, I'm disqualified, right? not worthy to be a son, at best I might be able to get a job as a servant there, but the father won't actually hear anything of it. And the language is beautiful in this, like I wish we could, wish we could you know, really just write exactly what was there in, in all its kind of poetic form. But it, but it says, when the father sees the son, he, you know, along in the distance, a long way off, the word is, it, it literally like this, he sprints. Now, he's doing better than me, I'd be lucky to get up to a slow jog, but like he sprints, right? He sprints to the, to the son. And it says that he, you know, he, he wraps his arm around, he kisses him. The, the word is like he doesn't stop kissing him. You ever seen those, those um, little things on Facebook, like when an owner comes home and, and the dog hasn't seen them for a long time? And it's like it's never going to end, the affection that that dog has for the owner? You know, it's like they're all over, big dogs particularly, you know, they're crushing people and they're jumping around. It's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's that type of thing. It's like the dad just will not let him go and just keeps lavishing kisses on him. And then beyond that, he reinstates him and says, you're my son, my son that was dead, is now alive and he's home and he's reinstated to full sonship. And then there's the older brother, you know, the older brother who has stayed at home all this time. He's been the good boy, he's done as expected. But we find out, you know, he's bitter and he's resentful and he's angry because he's been the good boy and he's never got anything for it. And the thing to see in this story is not the behaviour of the boys, it's the posture of the father. Their behaviour differs. One is a rebel and one is an absolute conformist. But the father's love for them is both, both constant and consistent. And it's that love for, that he has for them as the father that is the unshifting basis for their relationship. See, the boys both make the same assumption. They act it out in different ways, but they both make the same fatal assumption. They think that their relationship is about merit. It is about behaviour. It's about whether they deserve the father's love or not. And the younger brother thinks that he has blown it and he's disqualified and he no longer deserves the father's love. He no longer deserves to be called a son. And the older brother, the whole time he's doing this and he's working and he's fulfilling his obligations and his responsibilities, the whole time he's doing that, he's thinking that that is earning him the right to be a son. You with me? But both could not be more wrong. 
They both have this story that they're working from about how this relationship works with their father. And one says, I'm a stuff-up and I don't deserve to be called a son. The other says, I've always done my duty and I deserve to get a better deal. But the father looks at both of them and he says to them, really, you think that's how it works? You both, like, seriously, you, you think this is how it works? How many of us still really think, despite... Despite the sermons we've heard, despite the Bible studies we've done, despite the songs that we sing and we tell ourselves that it's all about grace and grace and grace and grace and mercy and love and kindness, etc. How many of us still think that the basis of our relationship with God is somehow dependent on our behaviour? Maybe not just our relationship, the fellowship with God is, ba- is the basis, you know, our, def- our behaviour is the basis of that relationship. It doesn't help that sometimes we, we with the best of intentions, we, we reinforce this idea in churches. We say things like, you can come to the table, but make sure you're good, right? Make sure you're good. Make sure you've got all your stuff together because God doesn't want to hang around with people who haven't got their stuff together. So before that, you know, come to the table. Even with prayer, I've got to make sure that I'm right before I get before God in prayer. I can't expect to receive anything from God in prayer because I know my behaviour's been off kilter. It's in all these kind of little subtle ways that we belie the the idea that we think this relationship is all about his unchanging love towards us that is the basis of relationship and it shifts the focus towards our behaviour. So we feel closer or more distant to God depending on how well we think we've behaved, how well we think that we've actually, you know, performed for God. And the father says to us, just like he does to those boys, really, you think that's how it works? You think that's how this goes? And we port all of that onto our relationship with God. You know, in my 30 years of pastoring, I've seen some things, right? And one of the things that I've seen that's really upset me a lot is the number of people, young people, older people, people who are getting, like, really old, you know? Like, people who are in their 40s and stuff, right? Um, Really old. No, No, people who are getting into their 60s and 70s sometimes. And they tell me stories, about their relationship with their dad or with their parents and how they've never been able to be completely honest about things with them because love was on the table, right? The relationship was on the table. It was so dependent on them meeting the expectations of their parents that they dare not speak about it because they knew the relationship would be removed from the table. And other people who've been estranged from their parents because they were honest about something. You ever met anyone like that? You heard those stories? It's just sad to think that people can go through their life and be estranged from their own parents or not have an honest, open relationship with their parents because they were always knew that the relationship was on the table. Well, you know what? Jesus shows us a father that doesn't practice conditional love, that doesn't use love as leverage, that doesn't make the relationship dependent on our behaviour. The younger son says, give me the money... I don't want anything to do with you. That's essentially what he says to him. Give me the money because I'm off. And the father gives it to him. Now, there's no question that the father did not think that it was a good idea to give him that money, right? There's no question that the father thought, that sounds reasonable, that sounds fair, that sounds really good. Here's the money. The father knew what was going to happen. The father knew what disaster was going to happen. But he doesn't stop him. He lets him go. He doesn't say to him, well, you know, if you do this, then we're done. If you do this, then I don't want anything to do with you in the future. No, he lets him go. It would have hurt like hell 
Because the Father doesn't want to see us blow up our lives in any way. You know, people think that God is controlling, right? People think that God has these kind of things that he wants us to live by and ways he wants us to live because he's so insecure that he needs us to do it so, you know, he can feel good about himself and keep control of us. That's not what's going on here. God wants this stuff because he knows it's the best for us, right? He doesn't want to see us destroy our lives. He wants us to have the best life possible. And so he tells us to do this. But by the same token, if we say to him, I would rather do something else, he says, go for it. Because love is not controlling and love is not coercive. You know, God would rather have us say, I want to take the money and run. I don't want anything more to do with you or actually want to go down this road and and I know it's destructive and I know it's wrong. I want to do this. God would rather have us do that, right? But then return because we mean it rather than use love as a leverage to force us to stay. Does that make sense? He would rather us come back because we want to than force us to say by holding us, blackmailing us and putting the relationship on the table. Love never tries to control or coerce. So he, he lets us go. And when the son eventually comes back and he realises the mess that he has made and that the, you know, he's destroyed his life, he gets back to find the father waiting. And before he can spit out the little pre-rehearsed speech that he's made, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, the father says, get a robe and a ring, put sandal on his feet, kill a fattened calf, this son of mine who was dead is now alive. This person that has returned to me as my son because he's never stopped being my son. Never. Not in his worst moment, not in that moment where he was in the pigsty longing to eat the food that the pigs ate. He was still my son. You know, Jesus shows us a father whose heart might get broken by us, but it never closes to us. Never. We go into a whole range of stupid things, but when we turn back to God, we find that nothing has changed because it is his love and not our performance that defines our relationship. And we are no less a child of God with full rights and responsibilities full rights and privileges on our worst day than we are on our best day because it is his love that enables us to do that so some of us know this in theory but it still hasn't connected because we're still believing that i'm not worthy story we're still believing that that the best we can hope for is to be a servant in the house of god and we use the language of father but we still live like a servant so i don't know that we can really know god as father until we actually start to believe God's story about us. I mean that. I don't think we can actually really begin to know him as Father until we begin to believe his story about us. Maybe let me put it this other way. We can't really know the Father until we at least choose to put our trust in that story. Because we won't always feel it, you know. We don't always feel it. Especially if you've grown up, as I say, with an experience of a father or parents that have not demonstrated to you the unconditional, unwavering love of God. It's not something we're just going to one day go, oh, okay, that's cool, I'm going to function like that now. It's a choice that we have to every day go, this is how I feel about it right now. But I actually choose to trust your story, God, that, that even on my worst day, I am no less loved child than on my best day. I think the sadder story in this is the older brother. He stayed... He was good, he was responsible. He did his duty and he fulfilled his obligations. But he may as well have been a servant because he obviously never felt free enough to simply approach the father and ask for what he wanted. Somewhere in him he didn't feel like he had the right to do that. 
And he pleads his credentials. When the younger son comes home and dad throws him a party and he's miffed and he's not going to the party, he sits outside and the dad comes out to say, come in, you know, come in. He pleads his credentials and he goes, I've, I've been here the whole time. I've done everything you've ever asked of me. And you've never even given me a goat, right? And I think in the past sermons that I've preached about this, that was their equivalent of a sausage roll, right? <laughs> Don't quote me on that, but it is the basis of my PhD thesis. Um, <laughs> But he's like, you give him a fattened calf, I don't even get a goat. And I've been here, I've done this, I've never wavered in all of that. And the father, again, just looks at him and goes, really? Like, you, think, you think that's how this works? And he says these words, which are beautiful. My son, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. Now, that's how God feels about us. I am always with you and everything I have is yours. But we're the ones that can continue to live This is like axe. Uh, a wind, a wind blows, a wind blows through the place. Yeah, right. Oh, anyone got a lighter? Okay, get those tongues of fire happening. Not people with hairspray. That will end really badly. Um, that was that was crazy. Okay, yeah. Thank you, God. Um, I'm always with you. And everything I have is yours. But, you know, we can, we can live with a father like that and still think of ourselves as a servant who doesn't deserve to ask for it, who doesn't realise that we have free, unfettered, full access to the father, simply and honestly. That we don't have to, to bow, you know, we don't have to sort of do a song and a dance. We don't have to sort of, you know, jump up and down or use a bunch of words or get all our formulas right to get his attention or his intervention or anything. We can literally just go, Dad, I've got a problem. Dad, I've got a need. Dad, I need help. And no, at that point, we are heard. It doesn't matter if you've just been, you know, living catastrophically. It doesn't matter if you're making stupid mistakes. You know, this is generally true. I, I find this. There are times where I need to go to God and I'm going, yeah, but I just made some really dumb mistakes this week. I need to let the residue of that wear off before I talk to you about this. It doesn't make sense because I know the theory that I'm forgiven, right? I know the theory. I, I could ace the test. But practically speaking, what the dynamic is I know I've let you down and so I'm going to let you cool down and start thinking fondly of me again before I come to you. And God says to us, I never stop thinking fondly of you. I always think fondly of you. I always love you. My door is always open, like always opened. We aren't entitled because we've earned it. We're entitled because he's our dad. And we always think about this story, and I'm finishing now. I'm finishing. We always think about this story as an evangelistic thing, you know. This is a story about the prodigals, the people out there, that God still loves them and they are welcome to come home. But you know what I realised as, as I thought about that? I always thought there was a bit of a bait and switch going on in this story. You know, so God has this kind of unconditional love to people who are out there being bad. But once he gets them home and gets there, then the rules change. Then the rules become about behaviour, right? Then it becomes about, well, you know what the rules of the house are. And you need to behave yourself and you need to do well and you need to do this and you need to do that and you do that. And it's like, where did that come from? Because it's not in the story. The same father that, that has this unconditional love for the son that's gone awry has the same unconditional love for the, for the kid that stayed home and has done everything that's been expected of him. 
that somehow we get it in idea. It's, it's, it's different. I think it's a story about the people at home, those of us who know God but still really have not met the Father, who really struggle to relate to God as Father, the people who don't see that he's always with us and everything he has is ours, not by virtue of our performance but by virtue of his unfailing love. So I sat in the car on Monday and that thought came to my head, you never come to me. I realised God was just saying, put down the four-page prayer. Put it down, step away. So I did. I didn't have it on me, but metaphorically, I I did. For the purposes of this dramatisation, let's go with that. I put it down and I, I walked away from it. And I sat there and I just went, okay, Dad, I'm, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed and I just don't know what to do. And I'll tell you what, I felt in that prayer I connected with God more than I had done in the previous six months. I mean that. I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder. Now, now the enemy, he doesn't like that and he's been coming at me a lot this week. But I felt like something had just lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I'd been heard and I felt like help was on the way. So like I say, we, not, we may not be able to very easily get our minds around this but we can choose to trust the story the Father talks about us, that you are loved, you are loved, he is your dad and everything he has is yours, you need only ask. So we're going to come to the table now and I thought what a beautiful way to end this because it's his table and he invites everyone to come and to taste and to see that he is good. Amen. So I invite you to come to the table this morning. People at home, take communion in your own time. We'll get the team back up here. Thank you.